It was one of those lazy, hazy Indian summers in the New England town of Slalom. On the outskirts of the town was a small holding, owned by a man known only as the Stranger by the simple townsfolk. He was from out of town. In fact, he was from out of space. But cleverly, he'd learned to conceal his alien identity by telling everyone he met that he was wearing an oddly shaped hat. The extra limbs he maintained had been left to him in his grandfather's will. The townspeople, however, soon became suspicious when weird lights and sounds were noticed coming from a cattle shed in the early hours of the morning. When questioned by the sheriff, the stranger covered up the incidents by telling him it had been one of the cow's birthdays and the whole herd had been up dancing until the wee hours. The sheriff would have investigated further, but for the fact that the stranger made the most amazing banana toffee to which the entire town were addicted. It was the toffee that sealed their fate. Slowly but surely, the townsfolk were metamorphosizing into hideous shambling creatures resembling aging game show hosts. They began to wear plastic toupees and sequin-coated suits with huge shoulder pads. They were constantly grinning and began talking in a language that seemed to be made up of bingo calls. By the time the sheriff realized his mistake, it was far too late. They'd begun constructing a huge wheel using the trunks of trees from the surrounding forest. It was covered in fairy lights and tinsel and was gaudily painted with huge luminous numbers and phrases such as spin to win and give it a whirl. Many of the townsfolk began covering themselves with thick layers of fake tan and living in the spokes of the wheel. I was that sheriff. Ah, good morning, kidlets. I'm going to tell you a story in song about what happened in Gilly Gilly, Awesome Pfeffer, Captain Ellen Bogan by the sea. There's a tiny house. There's a tiny house. By a tiny stream. By a tiny stream. Where a lovely lass. Where a lovely lass. Had a lovely dream. Had a lovely dream. And her dream came true. Unexpectedly in Gilly Gilly Awesome Pepper Cats and Ellen Bogan by the Sea. It was a curious cough candy twist of fate then that ten years later, whilst avidly collecting material for my investigations into a hidden cult at the Histrionic University, my study should lead me to seek out the mysterious proprietor of a decrepit sweet shop. The eccentric owner, one Professor Maximilian Todd, was rumoured to own the only surviving copy of the famous recipe book by the crazed confectioner and sorcerer, the mad Arab Abdul Al-Hazareb. The mad Arab controversially claimed that time was a swirling cosmic lollipop held by the jaws, hands and feet of a fearsome demon god. This continuous, crystallized sugar circle of birth, life, and death was endlessly spun around and round with our souls in bondage, imprisoned within its six different colored realms. Thus we are trapped, living in a state of illusion. Hello? I'm afraid we are closed. Professor Todd, 
The name's Thomas. Thomas Chew. And who everybody else? Chew. Are you allergic to cats, my no, boy? No, no, my name is Chew. T-E-W, Thomas Chew. I'm a private detective. I see. Well, goodbye. I was advised to come here by Father Too Bad. Father Too Bad? Yes. Didn't he recently exercise one of the sisters at the nunnery? Yes. I did hear that he gives them all regular exercising. Rumors, vicious rumors. I visited him at the rectory only yesterday, and he swore an incubus was guilty of the phantom pregnancy. Having taken control of his form, no doubt. It was a demon that laid on the sleeping sisters. Mm. It apparently filled his mind with burning lusts and foul imaginings. He's extremely forthright when it comes to unholy visitations. So I hear. Were you aware that his rectory is an ancient site where powerful earth energies cluster? I really don't wish to know about his personal hygiene, detective. To be honest, I've always looked upon religion as organized madness. Is that not better than disorganized madness? At least if it's disorganized, the lunatics aren't running the asylum. Listen to me, detective. You've come at a bad time. My wife, Tabitha, and I are in the middle of a mixed haunting. Really? Well, there's a lot of it about. Apparently your neighbor has been hearing strange noises from his water tank. Gastroenteritis? No, poultry geese. You mean poltergeists. Entities which resist the rites of exorcism and have the ability to take on human form. No, I mean a family of domesticated geese had escaped from the small holding next door and were nesting in his rafters. Oh. Well, what precisely is it that you want with me, Detective Chew? As the professor stepped from the shadow of the doorway, Thomas observed that he was somewhat unkempt in aspect and had a queer, otherworldly quality about him, perhaps due to his oddly shaped hat. Maybe it was his imagination, but the professor's beard seemed tinged with pink in the twilight and resembled cotton candy. Did you, did you hear that, that, that voice? Did you? Listen, I suppose I'd better mention that I suffer from these, these. There is an awkward pause as Thomas considers how to explain his unusual disability. Voiceovers? Yes, voiceovers. Their eyes meet in a mutual gaze of understanding. I also. Come, Detective Chu, enter. Thomas was filled with trepidation at the idea of stepping over the threshold of such an establishment crammed brimful of the forbidden fruit of his youth. As children, his brother Edwin and he were terrified of confectionery. As the voices of banshees wailed to the percussive screeching of rats and rattling of death watch beetles, they would follow their father's looming silhouette, step by creaking step into the shadow box attic. Here tales of penny dreadful terror were played out upon the rotten beams by the grotesquely deformed digits of malevolent puppeteers behind the paper-thin curtain 
of reality. And in the wavering shard of pale lantern light, their father would open the lid of an ivory box upon the silk scarlet cushion within lay his teeth. Boys, my mouth is but a graveyard. These wooden tombstones hammered into my gums are each inscribed with the name of the tooth they replaced. And why? Not clusters, sir. Not clusters, sir. Say it. Not clusters, sir. Not clusters, sir. It was temptation. Gluttony. Gluttony, boys. Too many nut clusters in my youth. My darling boys have put paid to my teeth. Rotted them away until they were like a row of Swiss cheeses filled with gaping cavities. At this point, he would open wide the yawning cavern of this orifice, holding the lamp inside and forcing his sons to peer in at his twisted wooden fangs, dripping brown spittle onto the fat, blind, wriggling worm that was his glistening tongue. Hell and damnation should rain down upon the confectionery manufacturer who first had the divine insight to invent such a dastardly device of dental destruction. Cursed be the corner sweet shops that peddle them to innocent children. My dear Mr. Chu, come in, come in out of the storm. Storm, but... Trust me, detective. I am an expert on the meteorology of Sunday afternoon. Nervously, I stepped into the shop and immediately was overwhelmed by a pungent miasma of banana toffee. Todd, what's that smell? Oh, my dear Mr. Chu, don't play the innocent. We both know why it is that you are here. We do? Yes. Your investigations have led you to believe that I have in my possession a certain recipe book. So legend has it, within the pages of this book is a sacred recipe for banana toffee. The sacrament of an ancient cult. My word. This sacrament opens the tenth gate, third eye. Descartes' seat of the soul. Yes, Detective Chu, the dormant pineal gland which resides between the two hemispheres of the brain, its geometric center. Amazingly, science has since discovered that not only do we share half of our DNA with bananas, but that they also contain dimethyltryptamine. A psychoactive neurotransmitter that stimulates the eye of wisdom. This organ serves as a portal through which a sherbet fountain pours down, allowing the astral body to travel through a gateway into the chaos field. There, mortals can communicate with the elder gods, who too navigate the realms of thought. And do you, do you have the recipe? 
I do chew the recipe for magical candy. Magical candy, magical candy. Fizzy fish and apple whips. Magical candy, magical candy. Traffic lights and cherry lips. Magical candy, magical candy. Rosy apples and a seed twist. Flying saucers, peppermint sticks, magical candy, oh, magical candy, sherbet fountains, caramels, magical candy, magical candy, licorice wands and Catherine wheels, magical candy, magic, magical candy, sour suckers and What's that noise? It is the jingle jangling of my nipples. Your nipples jingle jangle? Not my nipples, manacles. Iron bracelets used for restraint. What happened to the old ball and chain? Mrs. Todd is thankfully out for the night. I'm afraid she's been at the catnip, and I spent half the afternoon trying to disentangle her forepaw from my beard. Your wife? Is a cat. You sound surprised, Mr. Chu. Well, I've heard of cat fanciers, but... Tabitha is the last living descendant of the sacred cats of ancient Egypt. An incarnation of the goddess of love and fertility. I see. At sunrise, she undergoes sexual transmogrification and has the body of a young woman. But thankfully, she retains the head of a domesticated cat. Thankfully? Have you ever kissed a cat, Mr. Chu? No, sir, I have not. Imagine feeling that sharp, spiny tongue in your mouth, combined, of course, with the natural deodorant in their saliva. I dreamt we would spawn a race of sphinxes. I even wove this toupee from hairballs. Tabitha regurgitated in the hope she would accept me as a mate. But alas, I suspect she is having an affair with the ginger tom from next door. But one, I lavish gifts upon her. Balls of string, saucers of milk, even a new scratching post. I clean out her little tray morning and night, but apart from the occasional kneading of my lap, this is how she repays me. But enough. Men's troubles are transient when one considers that the elder gods have lain awake in the dark for uncounted millions of years. There it is again, that that rattling, that, that groaning, as if of a tormented prisoner. It penetrates my soul, making it empty and full of pain. Come, come, Mr. Chu. How can it be empty and yet full at the same time? I feel like fate has brought me here. No, feet have brought you here. I have a feeling of deja vu, as if I have always been terrified of this moment. I've lain awake at night dreaming about it. Ridiculous! How can you lay awake and dream at the same time? You are full of contradictions, Mr. Chu. Call me Armand. There, you see, another contradiction. 
but we're wasting time with these petty trivialities. Look past the end of your nose. It's not easy. What I'm trying to say is that here there is no need to wear a mask. I'm not. This is really my nose. You know more than you let on. I can see through your feeble pretense. I'm not wearing one. Not anymore, my friend. This predicament has stripped you of your macho facade. And so you stand naked before me. Keep your perverse imaginings to yourself, Professor. What is that noise? Master, a letter for you. My God. Do not be afraid, Mr. Chu. This is Spog. Oh, hi. He is a golem. Golem? Golem. It means basically fool. He is my tireless and uncomplaining servant, needing neither food nor drink. A clumsy, slow, soulless, brainless lunk shaped out of dough. Master, master, please not deactivate Spog. I did not summon you. Back to your post. You must guard the portal. Master, a letter, a letter. I found it slipped under the door of the portal. Well, why didn't you say so, you ball of lard? Now, back to your post and thank the great baker who allowed time to open its bowels and spew out the defecation which is you. As Spock turned, his manacles jangling, Thomas saw the signature of Professor Todd carved upon his posterior with his name stamped beneath it like that of a Cabbage Patch Kid. In the corner, humming ominously, loomed a huge walk-in refrigerator, whose white door Spock now positioned himself beside. It sent a shiver down Thomas's spine. Was this the portal? He could not help but recall an old folk song he had once heard upon the theme of elder gods awaiting to reclaim the earth as their own. Dark white behind which lies utopia through late night eyes Hazy blurring pizza wrapped in an envelope of clean film wrapped Further in and further on, far beyond it, still be a part of strangely lurking life from smiley bodies bold with burning bile. Let me take you, my love, on a pilgrimage. Let me take you, my dear, to the land inside my fridge. Oh, creatures glowing, gherkin eyes lit greedily at green pop pies with scuttles screaming further still and hide beneath the writhing hill. Funny man with funny mouth and problematic seething bowels who tell of journeys gloomy deep to lands where older beings sleep. Let me take you, my friends, on a pilgrimage. You may as well bring along a wife and kids, oh yeah, to dream of fire off fridge, all lights and strain hands on hungry nights. Foolish fingers feeling for a pot of heart forgot coleslaw. The ancient home of ancient minds who waited there since ancient times. Desperate digits in the dark will wake them and their rain will start. Why don't you, my brothers, all come and live? 
in the wasteland, oh yeah, the wasteland in my fridge. Oh, this elder race who waited there at last will leave their frigid lair. Outside the fridge, they'll rule the earth, these monsters to my gate birth, oh yeah. Let me take you on a pilgrimage. Well, you may as well bring the wife and kids, so let me take you all on a pilgrimage. Well, everybody, yeah, to the land inside my fridge. Oh, the land inside my fridge. That's right, yeah. There's a tiny house. Choo, Bless you. Dark forces are attempting to lead your mind astray. The elder gods, too, and their ancient care home, singing endless verses of Max Bygraves, Gilly Gilly, Austin Feather, Cats and Ellen Bogan by the Sea, and searching for their false teeth. Caught in Zimmer frame jammed in the pea green corridors, they transmit their thoughts, molding the dreams of men as they leak urine and stools into their ill-fitting pajama bottoms. Try to concentrate on what I'm saying. We're on the threshold of a doorway to the other side. Which side do you mean? Which one are you on? Neither. Well, which do you suppose? Who's in the lead? Their side at the moment, but it could go into extra time. What if there's a penalty shooter? It could go either way. In which case I'm not willing to pledge any allegiance. Chew! Listen. This delirium is being brought about by those gods who lie awake in the dark. Manipulating the fleshy minds of mammals. Think. Bite it. Try to talk sense. So, your gingerbread golem guards the refrigerator. Talk sense, true sense. That's the script. Oh, yes. My God. Who wrote this nonsense? Listen. This letter, it is the key to deciphering the hieroglyphics carved into an ancient block of coconut ice. I need you to assist me. I need the benefit of your knowledge. I once received a letter. You did? Yes. The funny thing was, it was from a man called David. Now, I don't know anyone called David, and the name and address on the envelope weren't my own. Throughout the letter, David referred to me as Jeremiah, bringer of light and insisted that I meet a woman called Elspeth in the middle of the Mississippi River at 2.30am on a Tuesday morning. She'd be waiting in a capsized kayak. There was no kayak, and Elspeth never showed. It was then that I realized she'd been murdered. But I'm not talking about your usual homicide, being drowned in the bath or slowly poisoned over a number of years. I'm talking about a complex and heinous crime. Elspeth would also receive a letter purporting to be from the President of the United States of America and inviting her to join him and his first lady in a motel called the Pickle Drum in Brazil. When Elspeth arrived, she'd find the address given was a hospital and that she was booked in for major surgery that very afternoon. She'd be anesthetized by being forced to listen to an intense program of Leonard Cohen records. And by the time she came round and realized what had happened, it would be too late. Her kidneys would have been pecked out by two highly trained homing pigeons called Bernard and Tom, and would already be sitting in the lower torso of a man called Peter the Viper from Oregon, a man who insisted on having all his major organs replaced every two days. Now, they could have kidnapped her children, strangled her dog or sliced her husband up with a buzz saw, and she still would have lived. But Elspeth was very attached to her kidneys. She died of a broken heart. 
Three weeks later, her kidneys were picked up for jaywalking. Turned out they'd been prostituting themselves on the seedy back streets of Brooklyn. Loaning themselves out for the night to aging alcoholics at a buck apiece. They tried to rehabilitate them, but sadly it was too late. But before they died, one of those kidneys wrote a book. Now I've read that book, and it's a sad tale of debauchery and depravity. Right! Now chew the hieroglyphics. Hmm. According to this code, why, it doesn't make any sense. I know, I know. Just pretend. Stick to the script and try to make it sound convincing. Have more conviction in your line. No, no, not the script, the hieroglyphics. You see here, there are there are letters, but these, these here, they, they look like musical notes. Yes, yes. Hmm. Wait, it's... It's in the form of a song. My name is Cthulhu. Cthulhu? Yes. A creature which defies description. The green sticky spawn of the stars. Worshipped by a worldwide cult. A cult who chant... That's tough to chant. Hence, their sacrament is toffee, Mr. Chu. That makes sense. It does, at last. Well? It translates as, in his house at rare, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Secret priests seek to wake the mighty god Cthulhu from his tomb. Revive the old ones, his subjects, from their slumber in a care home beneath the sea so that they can resume their rule over the earth. And this, this appears to be a message in the form of a song from Cthulhu himself. Now, what does it, what does it say here? My name is Cthulhu. What's this, sir? My first rule of thumb... Try, try, try with the tune. Do you, do you read music? Yes, yes, together. My name is Cthulhu, my first rule of thumb. I don't say where I'm going or where I'm coming from. I try to leave a little reputation behind me. So if you really need to, you'll know how to find me. Come on, Chew. That's it, Professor. Keep it up. We're getting there. You've got a wonderful incantation voice. Thank you. What's this bit down here? Let me try and decide what's My name is Cthulhu, I'll live till I die. I'll take what you give me, and I won't ask why. I've a lot of friends in some exotic places. I don't remember names, but I remember faces. My God, it's not pleasant. Not at all. But it changes here. Look, the inscription changes slightly. Lonely, why, 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 you don't have to be lonely. Come and see Cthulhu, he can chase your troubles away. Away? Oh, if you're lonely, you don't have to be lonely. 
When they talk about Cthulhu, you know what they say. No one south of heaven's gonna treat you finer. Cthulhu had his training in what's this? North Carolina. North Carolina. Maybe there's a there's a cure there. Curious cure. Cure. My name is Cthulhu, and soon I'll be gone. An open invitation is the road I'll travel on. I'll never say goodbye because the words upset me. You may forgive my going, but you won't ever forget me. My God. This is worse than we thought. Chew. Here, have a tissue. No, Chew, don't you see? We shouldn't have recited these ancient words. What? We may be embarking on a perilous journey, <gasps> plunging into the dark depths of our unconscious, where we will find ourselves at the edge of a cosmic abyss and be devoured by a monster before being spiritually reborn. Young again. I'm afraid so, Mr. Chew. The electric heads seem to pepper their scripts with psychoanalytical misquotes. I beg you, stay here tonight, Mr. Chu. Man is a whole lot less good than he imagines himself to be. The division of the cosmos into a bright day world and a dark night world populated with fabulous monsters has occurred because he is the prototype of such a division himself. Do not be lured into the shadow realm, for there your childhood has left a reservoir of human darkness. There you may meet and become the shadow child. Young again. I'm afraid so, Mr. Chu. They insist on patting their scripts with misquotes from his work. Come, let us retire. From comedy? To bed. My bedtime reading was a passage from Frederick von Belknap Blocked Jones's famously banned occult work, The Wisdom of Wearing Shoelaces. In far-off land, in far-off days, there lived in swamps of mayonnaise a man whose feet, like two canoes, bulged monstrously in orange shoes. Such shoes, they shriek with maddened mouths, bombarded brains and loosened bowels were worshipped by strange solemn souls in carpets clad and breakfast bowls. Upon their knees were firmly stuck green dangly things that gave them luck. They scaled the treacherous trembling toes and fought foul footwear fondling foes till someone spied their glorious goal, the promised large round empty hole. And from this post they crossed the ridge, continuing their pilgrimage. Some will always jeer and mock the prophet's dream of nylon sock and double over filled with mirth that the fabric of the universe seemingly so black and endless is held in place by sock suspenders as i finished reading i drifted into an uneasy sleep Some say the worst monsters reside in the imagination. But that night, Thomas was to behold horrors beyond mortal imagining. Was it a dream? I cannot say. But I hope so, 
For if the things he saw and experienced were more than the imaginings of a disordered brain, then surely does madness hold sway over the universe. It has been more than six years since that night I spent in Professor Maximilian Todd's sweet shop, and I still find it hard to bring myself to describe the horror that I witnessed. Thank God that as a youth I played hooky from school, for I missed vital components of my education, such as describing words, metaphors, and similes, making it impossible for me to relate what may be seen when one stares down into the abyss of primal horror. I awoke, all alone in the darkness, like, like a mushroom, to discover that I was walking through the dank, night-lighted corridors that stank of banana toffee. Feeling my way along the greasy walls and abrupt corners through an interminable labyrinth of winding corridors, I finally staggered through a gaping mouth into the sweet shop itself and howled a bowel-emptying cry at what I saw. The walls, lined with hundreds of glistening jars, were alive. Humbugs crawled from their glass necks. And as I tried to turn, I realized to my horror that my feet were stuck in gooey toffee that covered the floor and hung in stalactites from the ceiling. I tried to scream once more, but a giant gobstopper flew into my open mouth, and I felt my body being enveloped by a soft, warm blanket of marshmallow. As it began to cover my face, slowly suffocating me, I, I, I saw tentacles of licorice writhing, squirming towards me through the darkness. I am the guardian of the portal of becoming, the entrance to the place of naked, formless creation, home of the elder gods, and I command you to release this mortal. As Thomas felt his marshmallow shroud loosen, he caught a glimpse of the boldly imposing figure of Spock. The gingerbread golem, his eyes burning like atomic fireballs, was cracking an apple whip and held a glowing licorice wand in his other hand. As Thomas watched, Spock pursed his lips and fired a volley of licorice torpedoes from his mouth, pelting the creatures who began to wither and retreat back into their jars. When the shop finally fell silent. Spog gently carried Thomas's body and laid it before the fridge door. He plucked the gobstopper from his mouth with his fat, doughy fingers. Spog, Spog, you, you saved my life. Where did you learn to shoot like that? I ain't much of a shot. I just blast away until I hit something. One day, I'll probably shoot myself. Good thing, too. The world would be a safer place without a dim-witted golem like me stumbling about with a gobful of torpedoes. But how? I, I thought golems were incapable of disobeying their creator. Professor Todd did not bake me. I was made by the great baker in the sky. I see. The universe is a huge bakery. It is. And the earth is a donut. Uh-huh. All beings are grains of sugar sprinkled on the surface. One day, the donut will be eaten by a woman called Penelope, 
and the digestive process at the end of time will be sure, Spark. Sure. Oh, oh, my brain! I can't get it out of my head. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Spark, spark. Chomp, chomp, crunch, crunch. Spark. Wait. I thought I heard footprints. You can hear footprints? Yes, Spog. I wasn't always a detective. I used to be a tracker for the cavalry. I could sniff out a campfire from 50 miles away. That does not surprise me. This huge nose of mine was a God-given gift, Spog. And these huge flappy ears. They're all veiny, like bat's ears. Sure, I'm ugly. But they used to say I could hunt buffalo blindfolded. Could you? Guy once bet me a case of whiskey that I couldn't. I led an entire tribe over the edge of Horseshoe Canyon. I was the only survivor. Glided down using my ears. I got a medal from General Sheridan, but, you know, I, I never really forgave myself. You always lived here, Spog? No. Professor Todd used to tour around in a wagon. I was part of his touring freak show. That was when I fell in love with Ella May, the bearded woman. She used to call me Butterballs. She was all covered in air like a big, beautiful bearskin rug. She sure sounds like a fine catch, all right. Not everyone saw through those thick, matted locks to her true beauty. She used to go for walks, alone, out in the forest, because the townsfolk used to laugh at her. Ain't folks cruel? It's a tough life, Mr. Chew. It was on one of those walks Ella got shot by two kids. They saw her skipping through the trees. They thought she was Bigfoot. That sure is a sad tale, Spark. Why, it brings a tear to the eye. Indeed, Mr. Chu. Professor Todd. I'll never forget stumbling across her body, lying there amidst the tangled underbrush. I had Spog carry her on his back to the wagon, where I stuffed and mounted her. You fiend. In a glass display cabinet, Chew, I made my fortune charging people to see her as Bigfoot Ella, the one and only female Sasquatch specimen. You're evil, Todd. Evil. You, you made your fortune exhibiting the stuffed corpse of my bearded lover. I'll crush you. Spog, no, Spog, I'll deactivate you. Get him off me, Chew. He's... He's, he's crushing me. Into the fridge, Mr. Chew. You'll find what you were searching for. Before the sweets come alive again, it's your only hope. You'll discover the truth. The door. The door. It's sealed, Spock. The door won't open. The letters. The letters, Mr. Chew. The fridge magnets. You have to put them in order. It's a code. <laughs> no, no. Spock, don't tell him. Gilly. Ah! No, no, only I must cross the threshold when the time is right. Ocean Pepper. Cats and Ellen Bogan by the sea, of course. It was staring at me in the face all along. Don't open the portal, you fool. Thank the great baker in the sky that the door closed behind me. For in the dim light, I could only see 20 feet. But what horrific feet they were. For chiropodists and manicurists rarely visited the elder gods in their care home of Riley deep beneath the sea. Firstly, the lack of oxygen dissuaded them, and secondly, the fact that most of the elder gods had feet in clusters of ten or more. The creatures before me were swathed in shadow, as they spent the majority of their time knitting shadow garments, shawls, and bobble hats. <laughs> 
Whilst they waited to be set free, their forms were utterly beyond my comprehension. And even now I cannot form a clear mental image beyond the impression of great size and a malignity greater than the human mind can possibly conceive. How I survived, I do not know. But now I've decided to put an end to my torment, either with a bullet or a noose. For I dare not sleep for fear of nightmares. And as Hamlet rightly asks, in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? Yeah. <laughs> 